welcome to the History Hooray podcast. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Charlene Amendola and I am your host. I'm so glad you're here. Today we're going to be talking about a little bit of Supreme Court history, in particular the case Obergefell v. Hodges from 2015 that promised equal dignity in the eyes of the law to homosexual couples. And I'm so glad to be talking to you about this case today, and I hope it's one that you'll consider covering in your classes because there are so many different ways that you can use this case as a resource, both in studying the Supreme Court and how decisions are made, or by talking about the 14th Amendment if you're talking about the Constitution, or if you are talking about equal rights for all. Obergefell v. Hodges offers a lot of different ways of viewing history through the lens of LGBTQ history. So Obergefell v. Hodges was decided a very short time ago in 2015. James Obergefell married his partner John Arthur in Maryland in 2013 and then the couple moved to Ohio where same-sex marriage was not recognized. So what that means is that their marriage certificate from Maryland meant nothing in Ohio. John got deathly ill and James was not allowed to be listed as a surviving spouse on the death certificate. And the reason for that was because they lost their marriage benefits when they moved from Maryland to Ohio. So there are real benefits to being married, like being able to share health insurance, being the next of kin. It's also a symbol of commitment. So marriage is important to many couples, including James Obergefell and John Arthur. In addition, having a relationship called a marriage, a same-sex relationship called a marriage, where two people are committed to one another, brings equality as well. Recognizing same-sex marriage would hopefully mean, and does hopefully mean, less discrimination, and it also helps children that are adopted in a marriage or relationship doesn't work out. In addition, marriage also allows the spouse to make medical decisions for someone when they become incapacitated and also gives them visiting rights for a loved one in the hospital. Whether that hospital visit is just a quick visit or one where they never may never see their spouse again. So marriage to a couple that wants to be married has a lot of benefits that prior to 2015, same-sex couples couldn't get in many places. And calling it marriage is different than calling it a civil partnership or a civil union. The word marriage means something else and it also means that a couple gets to call and legitimize their relationship with a particular word that is used in the mainstream by most heterosexual, heteronormative couples. So. The word marriage has deep meaning and deep cultural value in the United States. In 2015, same-sex marriage was banned in 14 states. And that included James Obergefell's and John Arthur's Ohio. And when Obergefell sued because same-sex marriage was illegal, 
He claimed that he and his lawyers claimed that bans on same-sex marriage violated the 14th Amendment. They violated the Equal Protection Clause, and they also violated the Due Process Laws. So basically, what they were arguing is that the law about marriage did not protect them or did not apply to them equally because they were not a heterosexual couple. So that's the first argument, that there was no equal protection under the law for them. And then the second part of this is that same-sex couples were denied life, liberty, and happiness without due process of law. Basically, there was no good legal reason why they were denied the freedom to marry and the freedom to pursue happiness in that marriage or in their relationship. So the Supreme Court took the case and had to make a decision based on two questions, two legal questions. Number one, did the 14th Amendment require a state to license a marriage certificate between two people of the same sex? So first they're looking at that 14th Amendment. And then they're looking at the 14th Amendment again. And they're asking, does the 14th Amendment require a state to recognize a marriage between two people of the same sex that was legally licensed and performed in another state? So what the court is looking at is, does a state have the legal authority to deny a same-sex couple marriage? And also, does a state have the legal authority to say that a marriage certificate from another state where same-sex marriage is recognized, do they, does the state have the authority to say that they refuse to recognize that marriage from another state? So in a five to four decision, the Supreme Court decided that the right to marry is fundamentally protected and a fundamental liberty of the 14th Amendment. Now let's think about that decision for a moment. Number one, it is huge. It is huge because it allows same-sex couples the equal dignity in the eyes of the law that they deserve. But we also need to take a little bit of a closer look at the numbers in that decision. There are nine Supreme Court justices and the vote was really close at a five to four majority in favor of Obergefell. So yes, this was passed. Yes, this is a landmark case, but we still need to take a look at the fact that there was still dissent there. And that's a little bit upsetting. What does that dissent tell a student or tell a person of the LGBTQ community. In addition, we also have to remember that most people's lives are not questioned or decided by the Supreme Court. In this case, it is. So there are lots of things that we can dig into in Obergefell v. Hodges. One of them is the idea of discrimination and identity and the fact that identity even needs to be questioned by a court of law. So that's one conversation that you could have about Obergefell v. Hodges with your classes. Um, another decision that you, or excuse me, another conversation that you can look at in your classes is that very close 5-4 vote. And you can, if you deem it appropriate for the age of your students, take a look at the dissenters and what they said about 
why they voted the way that they did in the case. You can also take a look at the 14th Amendment. Look at it very closely. What does it mean to have life, liberty, and happiness? And what does it mean for that to be taken away? In addition, what does it look like to have to fight for your life, liberty, and happiness? And those questions that I just went over, those could go with lots of different historical themes. Obergefell v. Hodges might be the first one that you look at, or it could be a theme for your entire class. What is life, liberty, and happiness? And who gets it and who determines who gets it? So those are some really interesting conversations that you can have with your students, either aloud or through journal rights. Um, but I highly recommend digging into that part. Don't just go over the facts of the case. Go over what does this case mean to different people, to people with different lived experiences. So when the Supreme Court decided that the right to marry is a fundamental liberty protected by the 14th Amendment, they also decided and in their decision said that there's no difference in principles between same and opposite sex marriage. So they basically defined marriage for us in this case. And they said that marriage is inherent to individual autonomy and it protects the most intimate relationship between two people. They also said that the right to marry safeguards children and families by re legally recognizing a family. And then lastly, they said that marriage has been historically recognized as a keystone of the social order. So let's just take those three bullet points and think about ways that we can discuss them with students. The first two are ways of looking at this through a social lens. So looking at it as the choice of being married is a person's individual decision and a decision between two people. And being allowed to marry is inherent to that autonomy. So do I want to or do I not want to? That's a choice that I should be able to make in my lifetime. And then it also talks about how marriage protects the most intimate relationship between two people. Now, I know some people would say that that's arguable. So talk about it. Talk about what does the Supreme Court define marriage meaning at, for an individual? And then talk about what does it define marriage as a meaning for society? What does marriage mean for children? What does a safeguard to children and families mean? What kind of family might not be legally recognized? And why would a family not be legally recognized? Isn't a family a family? So that's another conversation that you could have with students. Get their perspective and let them see perspectives of other people. And always remember, when we're getting ready to have these conversations, we always need to go back to our brave space. What does our brave space look like? What does our brave space feel like? What does our brave space sound like? So that we can have these conversations in a constructive way and in a way that's not going to be hurtful to others in the room. And then lastly, you can look at the history of marriage and how is marriage a part of society? And that could be a really fun one because you could look at the way marriage has been defined over the course of time in the United States. You could look at it worldwide. What does marriage mean worldwide? What has marriage meant historically to different groups of people over time? You could look at other groups of people who have been denied marriage rights and see if there are any similarities. 
and also see if there are similarities in the way that groups of people empowered themselves to fight for rights that they knew they deserved as part of American society. So that's the direction that I would take with um, with the decision in Obergefell. And then lastly, the court talked about how marriage rights were traditionally addressed with the 14th Amendment. So they made sure that they brought up that Obergefell v. Hodges isn't the first marriage case, isn't the first case where a person has asked for their marriage to be legally recognized so that they could get those societal and legal benefits to marriage. So if we go back in time to Loving v. Virginia, where the Lovings wanted their marriage, their interracial marriage, to be recognized by the state of Virginia, they fought for that on the grounds of the 14th Amendment as well. So you could take a look at that in the historical lens because Number one, it would be a very interesting case study for students to look at how Obergefell v. Hodges isn't the first case where people are asking for the right to marry, but also the justices bring it up in their own case. And then another uh, lens that you can look at this through is through the lens of the enslaved and recognizing marriages of the enslaved. And were those marriages recognized? No. When did black Americans get the right to marry? And you can look for common threads there. And common understandings in empathy and injustice for all people. Now, you may teach in a place where you will get pushback for teaching this case. So having this conversation out loud might not be something that you want to start with. You may want to start with a conversation via journal. You might want to start with a conversation saying to your students, we're going to be discussing the 14th Amendment and we're going to do it through the lens of marriage. And in doing it through the lens of marriage, we're going to study Obergefell v. Hodges and the right to same-sex marriage. We're going to look at Loving v. Virginia and the right for interracial couples to marry. And we'll also be looking at when black Americans got the right to marry and have their marriages legally recognized. And ask students to ask questions so that you can see where your students are and then meet them where they are. Maybe they're not ready for a conversation about marriage being an intimate relationship. Or maybe they're not ready for a conversation about to cases about marriage. And that's where you start. So meet your students where they are. Ask them to journal, read their journals, take their journals very seriously so that you can have that conversation with them, even if your students aren't necessarily ready to have that conversation out loud. This way, they're at least having an internal dialogue and then further having a dialogue with you. And then beyond that, maybe at some point they will be ready to have this conversation out loud. But if you do choose to have this conversation aloud, make sure you go over that brave space, like I said earlier. 
that's really important. It's really important to let your students who are LGBTQ know or who have LGBTQ parents or family or friends, it's important for you to let them know that you are there in the room to protect them as well and to make sure that people leave your room and your conversation with an understanding of a life experience that they may not relate to and thinking about empathy and justice and quieting hatred in the room. Ignorance is a totally different ball of wax because when someone is coming at this type of conversation without knowing or understanding, it's much easier to have that conversation and to correct a misunderstanding. So making sure that your brave space allows for supportive language for those who are coming at a conversation about same-sex marriage without knowing much about LGBTQ experiences, either because they don't know anyone who is LGBTQ um, or because they haven't thought about it or they themselves do not identify, that's fine. That's how we learn about each other and empathize with each other. But you need to make it very clear that hateful language will not be tolerated and that is not part of your brave space. That we're here in our social studies and history classrooms to learn about one another. So I hope that you will be able to use Obergefell v. Hodges. Maybe you can use part of this podcast to help explain the case to students. And I hope that seeing it through the lens of the 14th Amendment will be helpful in bringing this to life in your classroom and bringing LGBTQ history to life in your classroom. Thanks very much for listening to the Teaching History Her Way podcast. Again, my name is Cheryl Ann Amendola, and you can find me um, at my website, www.teachinghistoryherway.com, or you can find me on Twitter, at History Her Way, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening.